this giant muskrat wants to know, <laughs> could, could I pay you a thousand dollars a year? Yes. Wait. <laughs> Oh, there's, oh, there's more? Hold okay. on, there's a stipulation. Oh. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 83 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the container shipper. I'm Sam. And today is <laughs> Slamuary Sumdi Forbed. 2017. Wait, what the hell? I don't know if that was that? even possible. You might have gone too far. Somebody <laughs> form. Wait, what is the actual Well, there's date? only so many dates in January that could sound like that one. Somebody so form. You just got to use sort of a Watson Somebody style I'm actually parsing not mechanism. I'm sure what the date is, and so now I'm trying to figure out what it is. Somebody form. I know it's after Somebody the 20th. Form. It's so after the, the 20th. 24th, I yeah, guess? exactly. Okay. Got it. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, also, warning, anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity. There's going to be a bunch of other stuff like that. So Unparsable if, words. So if you're a, if you're a wee little baby, get out of here. Yeah. I think you said small baby. Yeah. Try to, I'm, I'm going to be an interpreter. <laughs> Thanks for terpening. Yeah. I'm going to terp it up. Terp. Can All you right. out uh, something? What's out-terpret? You can interp something. Can you out-terp something? Well, see, interpreting is when you trans, is when you, somebody says the thing and you then you turn it into, it, you, interpret under, it. you make it into an understandable. So is out-terping when someone says something and you turn it into indecipherable. So, so that's kind of what I did, what you did with the date. I outterpreted it. So every time or the podcast starts, Seth outterprets the date. Yeah, or, well, but or if, it's, if it's an input-output relationship, then mm-hmm. outterpreting is just saying anything. And then interpreting is converting that thing that was said into, into some other language. That's understandable. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. outterpreting could be gibberish, but also just, you know, regular stuff. Yeah. So you're saying that talking is just outterpreting. Outterpreting. Yeah. And then listening is interpreting. Correct. Well, it is. I mean, your conversion but is, of. But it's sort of like a pass through entity, though, you know, right? right? Of some sort. So yeah, it's, probably. It's just like. It's just, yeah, what would it be? I don't know. Listen, you guys. Tube interpreting. I'm going to put this on guys. my resume. I'm, gonna, I'm, a, I'm a master out-terp- level outterpreter. Outterpreter? <laughs> I can make I can jargon, outterpret I can make nonsense. I can outterpret anything. I can vocalize for days. Yeah. Uh, hey, you guys. What? Dev Diary came out. Yeah. Came out on Saturday. Uh, this is the documentary about the making of Crashlands. It's getting very good reviews. Yeah, great reviews. Wall to wall. Just wall to wall. To wall. Which wall Digital to which walls. other wall? You know what I mean. To the yeah. window as well, I think. <laughs> to the window! Um, it's... To wow! There was sweat dripping. Yeah, and, and there are even a few people who were place. like, I thought this was going to be a technical demonstration of how to use Game Maker. I don't know where they got that idea. Uh, and then they're like, <laughs> but I watched it anyway. It was great! So... They overcame their rage at being deceived. Wait, why would they think that's what it was? I think doing? because in the in the opening intro sequence, there's some code. oh, there's code. a lot of game maker. That's true. Yeah, um, but you know, whatever. We should have should have used hacker typer instead for the opening. Sequence. Oh, I love that. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, and we also got a question about this from brand fourteen fifteen mm, or one four one five brand or one thousand four hundred and fifteen. Mm. So I don't we'll know. Go one four one five. It's like they've the, got a branding problem. Yeah, it's the first part of someone's uh, area code. You know, like when you dial it in, you have to press one. Oh yeah, so four one five. Normally, probably. people just put up the three digits, but they wanted to be sure that you actually dialed in. Yeah, because so like, like I in the U.S. four one five. Four one five. Brand one four one five says. So I just finished a crash and story dev diary, which BTW is effing awesome. Cool. I feel I felt the feels giggled the giggles. 
and was wondering what it was like to be filmed like that. Were you guys self-conscious? Was it obtrusive? And was it worth it? Huh. Interesting. Thoughts, gentlemen? Well, yeah, let's talk about being followed around by film crew for, was it six months we did that? Plus yeah, a few so, times. So they, didn't, while. they didn't, you know, continuously follow us. They would, uh, usually they would, if, if something big was happening, then we would reach out to them and say, hey, if you guys want to catch this for the documentary, then come be here for this thing. I think that's, that's one of the interesting and convenient things about both finishing the cancer stuff and then doing the launch of the game is that a lot of the big moments are scheduled, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not just like yep. waiting around. It's not like being an up and coming actor or something where you're waiting for waiting calls, to- <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, on January 21st that the game is launching. And so yeah. they were like, all right. So Alessio slept over. So that, that scene where, um, I think it's the morning of the steam launch scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah um, right. It's like super it's dark. just a huge slumber party. Uh, yeah, unless you're like, if you were to turn the camera on, you see this a huge airbed that was taking up basically the entire living room. <laughs> <laughs> unless you had actually just slept in the yeah, in Unless you is one of the, he's the producer. He's the producer and director, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they, yeah, they were, I mean, they were, they were in it. Um, but yeah. We actually got really close to them as a, as a crew um, over the course of, of the filming and stuff, because they, they sort of, it's a very small team of basically three people at this point. Um, and they, they are sort of also starting their, I guess, this big creative enterprise forever an astronaut, uh, almost in the same way that we started our studio, right? Probably bootstrapped, bootstrapped, very scrappy, just like applying for work and also yeah. doing really cool stuff that they love to do at the same time. Um, so we immediately bonded with them, I think in the first chat, which is kind of the reason why the whole thing ended up happening in the first place. Uh, cause they're, they're very much a sort of a sister entity as far as what they're trying to do and being in the creative field and being in an industry that's harder than shit to make a living in and all this other stuff. Well, so. I think there's a, there's an interesting sort of side story, which is you can, you can go to their YouTube channel and they have a little interview with just with their, with their crew. Yeah. Um, talking about the fact that their original plan was to make a, a bunch of small webisodes of like five minutes each where they would just go around St. Louis and interview different developers and just kind of make this sort of these little standalone one shot episodes. And they had always had this dream to make like a really big documentary, a really big, interesting story. Um, And so, but they were, because they were so new to everything, they were just sort of, setting their sights at sort of something that was much more. It's kind of like entering the mobile market instead of trying to go for. Exactly. Yeah. And so the funny thing was they came to talk to us and they saw that, that we had been making a bunch of smaller games, much like they were doing with their small, you know, uh, webisodes. And then they caught us in the midst of us working on this huge project that we were just putting everything into. And no matter what was happening in our lives, we're like, fuck it, we're doing this thing. Right. And so they saw that and they were like, yeah, Hey, yeah. We should do our big thing. And so then, <laughs> so then uh, I think that first day they came and they were intending to just interview for maybe like 20 minutes and yeah. clip it down a bit. But they ended up, we ended up chatting for like six hours or something that first day. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and then it kind of spun out of control from there. So, um, but yeah, I think it's doing, I don't know if, I don't know if it's doing well or I have no yeah. idea. Or but, what well even means. Yeah. But uh, film, yeah. so yeah. far the, the reception has been super good. Uh, to me, it's been kind of interesting just watching. Cause, cause film, just like, you know, coming into games, I didn't know how that worked. You know, how do you make mm-hmm. a game and launch it? And what does it mean to have success from launching a game and now getting to watch this in another creative industry from the startup perspective. And it's kind of cool from sort of the podcast listener side is you guys get to see us not know how to do a thing and then try to do it and then learn from that. And we, mm-hmm. we can just kind of say that. Right. Uh, and now we actually got to witness that same thing happen in a totally different industry by watching these guys trying to make this, make this film. And, and to me, one of the interesting things has been, you know, they found a publisher, which is Devolver Digital's uh, movie wing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, but then the limitations that are still on that, because like their, their struggle to find a publisher was interesting to, to watch, you know? And, uh, and then they're on a very limited set of platforms actually largely because of, of who their publisher is and that they're unknown and that sort of thing. Well, yeah, it's, it's actually largely the fact, and this, this is what we came to find out is that the, the film industry on something like iTunes or Google play mm-hmm. is actually way higher gated than the games industry. So, Which isn't gated. Uh, yeah, they, the have, they have these rules all. about sort of how, how much success you have to have already had before yeah. they even let you put anything so what on the platform. <laughs> what we found out from talking to him is like the reason, cause everyone's asking for it to be on iTunes and Google play, mm-hmm. of course, cause it's also where the vast majority of our players are. Um, but well, that's where people watch. Yeah, that's where that's watch people watch stuff. their stuff. So, so as it turns out, in order to get a film on iTunes, there's two different companies you have to work with, two different types of companies, an aggregator and a film house. Uh, an aggregator basically just has a shitload of movies that are already on iTunes, and they put your movie on iTunes. You pay them to put your movie on. So in other words, there's, there's an enforced middleman. You can't yep. get around this. In fact, when you look at the documentation on iTunes, uh, it says, yeah, we use these companies and it just gives you a huge list right. of all the companies you can contact and say, hey, I want to put my thing on. Uh, it costs like 500 bucks per episode to put Shit. it on there. Yeah. So the reason why it's not on there is because <laughs> the realization it's is that it's- not for indies. Yeah, it's not really for indies yeah. um, because that means like for them to put it up, there'd be you know, three grand or so. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while it's, I, I would guess likely the case is they're going to make at least that much money off the thing from steam and stuff. Uh, there's that question of like, you but know, how much, yeah, how yeah. much. And so, yeah. uh, and so that's an interesting thing. And, and uh, I believe devolver doesn't, doesn't have like a built-in sort of go-to for these things yet. Cause they're also yeah, new to the starting thing. this. They're new too. Actually, yeah, to the game exactly. Game. And so uh, the whole thing's actually got, it's got a lot more gates on it than, than games does, which I think is I why. Think it's also, I mean, movies are much more regulated than yeah. games in general. There's all the FCC requirements oh, and other stuff. You know? So I wonder how much of it, but then it's also on the internet, right? Yeah, right. So I wonder how much of this is just kind of legacy stuff where the sort of uh, the assumption going into something like iTunes or Google Play for a movie is that it's a movie that's been launched somewhere, right? So that it, it the expectation is that it follows the same requirements as like movies that go to the theater, you know? Right. Well, because of course, if you made, you know, if you made blockbuster money off a movie, if you had to pay someone 500 bucks to put it on iTunes, it's yeah. irrelevant. Yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's not even money. <laughs> right. Exactly. Wow. Weird. Yeah, but I think uh, the overall feeling from, from being watched during that time and then also just from doing those regular interviews was interesting because it was, so we do a lot of self-reflection in the office. In fact, today is our self-reflection day because we missed it yesterday. Um, where every week we take, we basically have a set of eight different questions we answer. And then everybody kind of goes around and shares and, and figures out what their strategy is for the week based on these questions about what sort of work you're doing, uh, any ways you can help the whole office, that sort of thing. And so it's interesting, I think, having those interviews dropped in there very regularly during the end of development and then also a little bit after because it was these forced periods where you just think about stuff and talk. Like, I mean, unless you basically become a therapist in a sense, like you'd come in and be like, Tell <laughs> how me, do you feel about that? How do you feel about this? How's the beta going? We'd be like, oh, it's great. And of course, is- up until that moment, you'd just been sort of blazing forward yeah. on fire from the speed you've been moving. Yeah. So then having to stop and actually answer questions about it, it was, it was nice. Yeah. It's like doing the podcast. It is. Yeah. yeah. Same reason we do it. So yeah. so yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, definitely do. Anybody else besides brand one, four, one, five. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't watch it. Cause you did. did. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to try to get some kind of a, uh, permanent link up to the, uh, yeah, to we'll the documentary on, the, on, on website. our website. Yeah. The main question is where to link it to, uh, yeah, where to link it to and where to put it on the and site. So it. we'll, we'll probably have more info on that as, yeah, as we, we should, get that. And we should talk to them. And I think uh, we, we also need to see if they do, if they're going to be able to have a roadmap for things like an iTunes and Google play launch. Cause uh, cause in that case, that, that would be a much better place to send people. Um, cause that's where people watch 
stuff. Mm-hmm. So we might wait on that if, if that's going to be an option. Yep. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, you can uh, watch the intro on YouTube. So the first episode is up for free. You can just scope the thing out. Uh, and if you can find it. If you can find it's it. It's a little hard to find. We have a link up. But if you just, if you just search Dev Diary Crashlands Crash YouTube or Steam or what, anyway, if you, if you do that search, you will find but it. But make sure you look at the one called SO1E. Oh, one. Right, because there's another one that comes up that actually isn't the there's first. There's a bunch of promo trailers <laughs> right, above it. So. Yeah. Look for the one that's 22 minutes long. Yes, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> uh, also, we did the Global Game Jam this weekend. Yeah. Which was super cool. We uh, jammed so hard. We did. And we made a, this weekend, we made a game. Well, first I want to say St. Louis crushed it this year. Dude, yeah. holy shit. Uh, St. Louis was number two in the U.S. in terms of participation. Yeah, let's just talk about this real quick because I, I actually I was thinking about this while we were there because they announced this where they're like, okay, so uh, last year I think we were like fourth in the country mm-hmm. and this year we're second and it just cracks me up because the other place that is ahead of us is New York City, which I think they have a sponsorship from like Microsoft. They're in some big crazy studio space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also that city has... Something just a, approximately infinity people. Uh, just a billion people. Yeah. I mean, the, the multiple, like how many more people does it have than St. Louis, you know, from multiplied angles? Like yeah, I think if you, if, you sho- if you just actually, it's not even like shoved them together. If you stacked 10 St. Louis's on top of itself. Yeah, right. Then that's what about New York is. <laughs> and so, and they it's were a very vertical city. They were yeah, at like yeah. 460 people or something like that, I think. Yeah, um, not quite double. Yeah, and we had, we had about 200, 250 plus, 50, basically. Yeah. Um, and I was just looking at that and I was like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> what is happening in St. Louis? Because it's just a, it's just an incredible amount of enthusiasm. Well, that's what I, I was looking because I was like, we don't actually have a lot of studios here. Like, these aren't people who work in the industry. Mm-hmm. It's all just people who are like, fuck yeah, okay, I'll I'm gonna make a game this weekend. Just roll in and then just hang out. And uh, and the sponsors are always great. So we had like uh, Riot sponsors, and they built and out Nvidia. this like, yeah, and Nvidia's here too. And so there's a couple of companies that that are sort of you know helping buttress the whole thing. But I think it's it's just. I was thinking well, it's, about it's it. It's funny like, too because happening? if you look at the names of the jam sites, this the the Global Game Jam in St. Louis was started by the Information Systems Programming Club at University of Missouri St. Louis. Yeah. And so uh so that's the name of our jam site. It's like on the list, it's like <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just like long. St. Louis. Yeah, it's just like it just says Information Systems Programming Club. And then there's like a little subtext like St. Louis, right. you know. Uh, so it's just like some random college club, basically. <laughs> but the one in New York, I think it's a Playsoft. Playsoft and Microsoft yeah, is like, like the name of it. It's like some big-ass company, you know. Nope, information. So I was just thinking about that, though, and I was like, this is weird. Like, yeah. What, what's yeah, in the cool. water? What's I, going on? I don't know. I, I think it's just uh, there, there's a great community here. A lot of people have done a lot of work to try to, you know, make sure there's lots of events and lots of things mm-hmm. happening to get people participating and. Like we talked about in the past is, is St. Louis is, is definitely on the cheaper side as far as, you know, cost of living goes. And so, uh, yeah, you like, you may have a bunch of studios in San Francisco or New York or whatever. Um, but as far as people making games for fun or, you know, doing a lot of hobby stuff, I think St. Louis is just through the, through the roof. Really? So, uh, so that's pretty cool. I mean, the quality of the games too is really impressive. Overall yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of hilarious stuff in there. Yes, yeah, so we got to give shout outs to, there's, yeah. a, there's a few games. I mean, there were a lot of really good games. Um, there are a few that just cracked us up a shitload. Uh, which so, is one of our top, just, that, that's one of the top metrics we yeah. use. That's yeah. how much we like it. This make yeah. me giggle a bunch. Yes. Yep. Good. Yeah. So uh, one of them was Super Bobbert in the Infinity Tree, where there's this little little boy who somehow got the power of stretchy arms. Yeah, this is made by uh, uh, Phil and Jasmine. Phil was actually one of the guys who we, uh, 
we did our mentorship program with. Yep. Like a year or two ago, two years ago. Yeah. And this game was like this the kid's got stretchy arms and he's standing next to a tree and he's just retrieving sort of lost toys and like kites, footballs and kites and stuff from the tree. But the tree goes up forever, like up into space. Mm -hmm. And his arms just keep stretching. And, and they're super just, noodly. You kind of like, like, yeah. like wiggle his noodly arms up the tree. Um, so that was cool to see. I think he used the tilt on yeah, the phone. Yeah. Yep. So that was cool. Um, uh, TJ Hughes made a game called Crab, which is a two-player. <laughs> exactly nine A's. Yeah. With a, yeah. It's a two-player <laughs> dueling game based on that uh, old, like that gif of that crab with a knife. Yeah, right. And so yeah. you're, a, you, there's, there's like, you start as two crabs. And then each crab has a knife sort of plunked into the sand in front of them. I think you can you control your claws. You control closely. the pinch of your claws, and also you can like rotate and and angle your claws awkwardly. It's, it, it's I was watching it, and it was kind of like uh, watching somebody maneuver like a, a piece of heavy machinery for the first yeah, time, like trying right. to control like the <laughs> right, arm right. and the pitch of well, the. Plus, you stuff. are crabs, so you can only they don't walk straight, right? They actually yeah, they're they're yeah. strained sideways. sideways. Yeah, yeah so you. <laughs> Yeah, so you have to like turn your crab and then walk sideways, but then angle yourself to try to like hit somebody with your with your knife. Right. If you can even um, manage to. Pick I wasn't it up. even certain if there's a win or lose condition put in there because I saw the crabs like stabbing the shit out of each other. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> happened, but it was still hilarious. It was hysterical. Um, and then the but final, it was, yeah, it was so hard to get to that point even that you don't really even you don't need care. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the the final one that was hilarious was. Uh, rave.wave which was about yeah. it, it kicks off with this cut scene um and this was by a team of i think like eight people mm -hmm. or something um and including uh there's uh one of the developers here tim healy mm -hmm. uh his daughter has been coming to all the game jams and stuff and she's very young oh, she's like seven or something uh yeah nine or something so, yeah so she's been she's been coming to a lot of jams uh but she hasn't been able to participate so this was her first jam participating in uh which was super cool to see somebody who's basically been sort of growing up in the st louis game dev scene <laughs> right. and then participate in her first jam which was awesome um but yeah so that was uh, a game where you play as one of the wacky inflatable flailing arm tube people mm -hmm. and uh but you like it starts off with a cut scene where the boss is sort of berating you because you haven't been selling enough cars. And so, yeah. so then. Well, and uh, your dad used to do, be like the best. The best wacky, car wacky tube person. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then you, you park or you go into the parking lot and it's sort of like a DDR thing, but with, with a dubstep, mm -hmm. sort of like rave music. And you got to like hit the keys and then you're just like, wait, like you're just flailing around like yeah. crazy. And it was, it was very well put together. It was super, super cool. Very funny. Um, so yeah, those were just a few of the 50 games that came out yeah. of St. Louis. Um, <laughs> and the game that we made, uh, we made a game that was a birding game, which yeah. is like fishing, but it's, it's up, it's backwards. Well, so this was funny cause we, so we actually, we didn't, uh, we didn't submit it to the global game jam site because, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, we, we've been looking at doing this sort of jam model of prototyping and building out systems for this next game. And we wanted to have a, a way more robust sort of fishing esque game in this next title. And so uh, we had the idea that since it's underwater instead of in the sky, that you would you would fish by birding. In other mm -hmm. words, you you actually throw a lure into the air uh, from underwater and then drag fit drag birds into the ocean. Yeah. Um, and the comical part about this is that so we built the whole thing and it's like ridiculous and it's actually really really fucking intense. Um, yeah. <laughs> Patrick uh, from Fat Bard and and Zach did did some great music and sound work for us. And so you know it's like this very chill. You just hear ocean waves. And you send your uh, your balloon fish up, and the balloon fish is this big sort of blimp-like structure, uh, just blinking and looking all ugly. 
and it's biting onto what we call the bridle, which is this sort of just this long piece of metal. On one end is the string tied that goes into the ocean where you are. And then on the other end is a string that has all your lures and hooks on it. And so you can load up that lure and hook side with uh, various other implements like gems or or ham. Or, or screaming doom worms. Screaming doom worms or even a rebate, uh, which will, you know, like a paper rebate. Yeah. Which when, will, so when you when you catch your your bird, you get a little bit more cash from the yeah. from the turn in. So then what happens is the uh the the fish goes in the sky and then uh you see all of the birds that are attracted to this lure that you could possibly get fly on screen and then fly up into the clouds. And so now you can't actually see who's gonna grab it, but you know sort of what the lay of the land is. Yeah. So we, we wanted to build up a good suspense, right? So like you see him come in and you're like, oh which one's it gonna be? Yeah. Which one's gonna bite my hook? And then uh, and then there's a quick time event. And uh, once you finish that, then this really fucking intense, like, War of the Worlds dubstep starts. <laughs> and then you have to battle this thing to bring it down into the ocean. And so to do that, you you jam on the space key to essentially reel it in. Um, and then you have to not be, not be reeling while the bird is also fighting. Otherwise, your line will start snapping. And so... Uh, the whole game becomes this like really intense. You're trying to drag this thing into the into the ocean, and it's trying to fly away. And I think it was really funny debuting it there because we had, we put a video together for it, uh, which we'll probably actually just keep unlisted. For yeah, the time and we and we did yeah. So we didn't publish the video, mm-hmm. and we didn't release the playable version of the game either. Yeah, which we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah, but, but so we uh, we we demoed this thing and. It became clear because we said like right in the beginning, oh, it's a birding game. But of course, no one has any context to understand what the fuck that means. And so they're just watching this happen. They watch the opening. The balloon flies up. The birds fly in. Quick time event happens. And then as the bird gets close to being dragged into the ocean um, and is just flapping, like just flapping sort of in what appears to be a sort of hysteria about the fact that it's about to be drowned, uh, this <laughs> dawning realization hits everybody that like, oh, holy shit, like you're dragging birds into the ocean <laughs> because it's a birding game. And the weird thing was like, a, a, I think the, the general point is that this is what we do to fish. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was horrified. For when some it was reason, birds. it's totally cool to pull a fish into the air and suffocate it that way. Yeah. But pulling a bird into the ocean, that's super fucked up. <laughs> super fucked yeah. up. So, um, it, I mean, it went over really well and the game's really fun. Actually, we played it for like an hour and a half actually on Sunday. This um, is, I think this is a game. This is the first jam game we've made that has more than probably like an hour. Of yeah. Legs. I would, I would have kept on playing it, but we had to make a we video, had to go make a video and go to the jam. <laughs> so, uh, it's really good. And the, and the thing that we're excited about is that, um, again, the reason we didn't show it and the reason the video is not published or anything uh, is because we want to keep it under wraps because it's going to be rolled into the next game. Um, birding will be the sort of fishing equivalent in the next game. And it's its own robust, extremely satisfying system to interact with. Uh, And that's kind of where we're going with this. Again, the way we're doing this next set of uh, this next development is actually busting out all these individual game systems, building them as jams and then piling them back in together. So we're going to do five game types. We're going to jam five Mm -hmm. different game types and then sort of pick and choose whether to take all of them or take a subset of them and fuse them together. So now we've game. got, we already did hack and slash. So we got that one figured out. Um, now this weekend we've done the fishing. Uh, so next up is farming, which will yeah. be this week. So we're going to, we're going to make a farm, about it next week. farm simulator this mm-hmm. week, but underwater, which yeah. can I, can I say some stuff? Sure, about? Go <laughs> yeah, there's a question of what the hell does. Yeah. So, so we got birding now, right? So we got bir- yeah, the opposite so- of fishing. So what's the opposite of farming? Yeah. So we making, making a game something? underwater, but that sort of follows a lot of common gaming sort of themes like farming or fishing or whatever. Um, 
is interesting because you you need to make shit up when it comes to the actual sort of mechanisms of how things function. For example, you can't water things. You can't water things In under the, the ocean. ocean. <laughs> um, and so what would be the the underwater equivalent? And so we we're like, what if you had to bubble them, right? So you have a, you have a little sort of bubble maker. Yeah. And, keep and, it nice and oxygenated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So instead of there being like a, a sort of puddles of water or whatever that you can sort of get water out of to water your your plants there may be little vents that are emitting bubbles and you can go over there and suck fill, it up. fill up fill up suck up the bubbles and you got to kind of aerate your plants with this little <laughs> bubble machine um, and so then you'll have a you'll have your whole field of plants and you'll be like oh yeah because you can look across and just see the bubbles on all the plants you're like, I, you're did like, I bubbled the shit out of those plants yeah. Um, then of course, like seaweed will grow, and then there's a the question that you have to that you have to pull. But there's a question of weather, right? Because weather is a big part of mm-hmm. farming, and we're like, well, what's weather underwater? Underwater, and so you know, instead of having a windstorm, it's like, oh shit, the currents are mega strong today, mm-hmm. you know, and it's gonna like blow your or wash your <laughs> plants away. Or, up, yeah. um, or there could be school instead of like a plague of locusts, you know, there's a school of particular fish that show up and just start decimating mm-hmm. your your crops and. Um, yeah. Or, or what, what else did we have? Uh, like a juice storm. Yeah. Juice storm. And then like a jellyfish, uh, bloom where there's just jellyfish all over the place. That yeah. Might do something. Yeah. But the other fun thing we were thinking about is that we want it to be the case that, uh, that if we do inter- ended up integrating this farming game in that everyone shares the same weather. So oh yeah. On a daily basis, uh, your device would actually check in with the Biscotch ID server, uh, which would tell it what the weather is for the night. Um, for the day. And that way everybody can talk about like, oh man, did you, did you get that jellyfish storm today? Did you manage to take advantage of it? I did this, this, this. Yeah, because everybody, because one of the things, in it, so farming game is all about strategy, mm-hmm. right? It's you trying to anticipate the things that are going to come your way and building out your farm to sort of mitigate the damage or take advantage of, like if you think it's going to rain a lot, you want to plant a thing that's going to take advantage of like a wetter, you know, environment or whatever. And so, uh, because of that, we wanted to, yeah, we wanted to capture that sort of community element of, cause like, so we're from Iowa, which mm-hmm. is a farming s- state. Mm-hmm. And the thing that people always talk about is the weather. Yeah. Right. Because that's, it's critically important it's, for it's life. Super, yeah. And, and it's just, it's a traditionally, it's a cultural thing. And people from the, from the coast and stuff always, always sort of poke fun at Midwesterners for talking about the weather because on the coast, like, ah, oh, you just, that's small talk. Right. But no, like in the Midwest, the weather is super important. It's life impacting yeah. stuff. And so that's what people tend to talk about. Like the first thing, like if, if any stranger, you come up and you're like, oh yeah, man, it's cold outside today. Right. Oh man, it rained a ton. Right. Yeah, right. And that's what you talk about. And so we're like, I wonder if we could just recreate that. But sort of globally, you know where we all of a sudden, try. all of a sudden this digital weather really, really matters to people. <laughs> you know what we should try? Um, there's been, so there's been several big windstorms or tornadoes or that sort of thing in uh, in Iowa while we were getting the studio set up. And one of them uh, ripped the ripped one of the hog buildings or the cattle barns, I think, down mm-hmm. on Grandpa's farm. Yep. And this is something that happens sometimes where literally the wind's coming in at like 70 miles an hour and it sort of gets up and under. I can't remember what it's roof. called. It's like a wind shear or something. Where there's, shear, there's, yeah. no, there's no tornado. There's nothing. I'll just all of a sudden. There's just blast. The wind, wind. just ripped. Just roars across the plains. But so the effect that I'm wondering if we can figure out how to how to create, and this probably won't be for the jam, but just in general, uh, is when that happened. So this building literally gets like, the ceiling gets ripped off it and like one of the walls falls over or something. And as a result, a bunch of the cows got loose. As well or as, blown away. Or blown away. 
um, or trapped under some of the wreckage. Right. And uh, normally this is, so farms are run by like five people nowadays. Just with, just with not a lot of work. giant ass machines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the big problems is if you have something like this happen, obviously if you only have like five people, you can't really easily go. Having a combine doesn't really help you to like, go find situation. your cows. <laughs> and so what usually happens is like a whole community within that lives within like a 15 mile radius because farms are very far spread um, actually comes and like helps out to do with that. And so and they'll just go farm by farm and like all together yeah, so fix all the yeah, shit. So you yeah. end up with like this crowd of, of like 50 people just yeah, sort of with rolling. Like trucks and everybody just shows up and they're like, all right, let's do this. And then like this, in like 30 minutes, they have everything fixed up and ready to go. And yeah. then they go from farm to farm. And so this yeah. happened uh, again recently with our, with our uh, grandfather's farm. And, and I remember when he was, when he was talking about it and it sounded like he was just talking about like a completely normal thing. He's like, Oh yeah, the barn got ripped down. The cattle barn got ripped down and, uh, all, you know, these six different families from the la- from 15 miles away came immediately and just helped round up the cows. These guys helped get the wreckage off, blah, blah, blah. And they had the whole thing cleaned up in like six hours or anything. <laughs> yeah. Right. And no one said, no, everyone's like, cool, we'll see you next week or whatever for coffee time. Like nobody asked for a thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and standard. you know, too. Yeah. Because like if that happened to them, you would show up. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the thing. I'm wondering, can we create that sense? <laughs> you know, yeah. we're like, oh shit. So my, a disaster can actually occur, but somehow the community people can, can help. help. Cause that would be incredible. Uh, be cool. I was thinking about this though. Cause this, I think this is a population density problem, right? Mm-hmm. Where the more people are around you, the, the less you can do on an individual basis to care about people. Because like, if you see 50,000 people over the course of a day, if you tried to stop to help and care about every single one mm-hmm. of them, you would just sort of die of starvation. Well, right? this, I mean, there's a, there's a site concept. I think it's called the compassion burnout something like that yeah where literally like you don't and this is why if you if you're from a small town and then you go to a big city where there's like a, a large homeless population or something uh it can be really hard for the first couple of days that you're there because you're natural you're not naturally surrounded by that many people for one and then also that many people who need some who help need help yeah and then the realization that you have to say you essentially have to stop you can't help feeling everybody. compassionate toward yeah. them because there's so many of them that you literally can't do it and of course the pendulum then just kind of swings the rest of the way where uh you don't you tend to not know your neighbors very well. Like if you're living in an area in a, in a larger city, maybe like a tree falls on somebody's car and you look out the window and you're just like sipping your coffee. You're like, huh, that sucks. That sucks for that person. Right. You know, <laughs> you're not going to go and like try to find who it was and be like, is there anything I can do to help? You know, right. like, um, cause there's also the assumption that somebody else is going right. to take care of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's, which isn't just, it's like, this isn't to say that, you know, Oh, people, in rural areas are just so much nicer or whatever. It's just that no, they can a, be, yeah, and they have social be, structure you know? in place. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it's always been an interesting thing. Cause yeah, I, my first semester of college was in uh, Los Angeles and we you know, oh, grew yeah. up in a town right. of 10,000 people in Iowa. And I just went there and I was just like, everybody's so mean. <laughs> Nobody gives a shit about anybody. It's actually just uh, that they can't, but they can't. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, how, like, how could you? Uh, but anyways, uh, we also had a question from I are dumb about the game jam. <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, and I think IR Dumb asked a question last time, but uh, IR Dumb said, I didn't make it to the Global Game Jam this year, but I will be hosting jams in the future. Ooh. Got any advice for your first game jam? It will be the first one where I'm at, so the coding slash game dev skills of the attendees uh, and me will be limited. Thanks. So we did talk about sort of first jam tips last mm-hmm. in the last episode, but what about this is hosting? What about hosting? Wait, is this, is this hosting an official, like a Global Game Jam or hosting a totally self-made? Sounds like... Well, it could go either. I mean, 
Either way, at the, at the have, beginning, they could be very similar. Yeah, yeah. So but there's some different tips. I would say, and we actually we were talking about this after the global game jam too. I think if you're if you get have full control over your jam, mm-hmm. um, uh, first brushing aside the question of whether you have people stay or or whatever, uh, for the presentation part, keep it uh, brief. Yeah, and, and the, the difficulty <laughs> of keeping it brief is that everybody wants to get up and like show their game in action, like f- and physically play it for some reason, which is actually for a short time window, especially, and even if it isn't a short time window, is the worst way to show a game to a bunch of people. Well, I think if you have if you have a, I would say if you have a max of like ten games made, it's okay. For but even to still, do real demos. it's I mean, gonna be better to make a video. Yeah. Well, yeah. so we were talking about this because the there's a lot of like you have to switch computers over. You have to like a lot of HDMI plugging in and out and like dealing with technical issues uh, in order to demo everybody's games mm-hmm. and just switching that many laptops over alone takes like, you know, about probably 35 minutes total. Just, like just for huge... reference for the global game jam in St. Louis this year with 50 games. Um, not all of them were demoed. I think maybe 40 of them were, mm-hmm. were demoed. Something like that. And there was a, a, an actual two minute timer set for each game. And it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. yeah. And so, and so once the timer went off, you had to stop showing, mm-hmm. but because of the transition time, in between people getting their stuff hooked up and whatever, um, we were there for f- almost four hours. Yeah, it easily gotta, doubled yeah, the time. Yeah. <laughs> Started at five and got out eight thirty or so. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, yeah, so make sure if you're if you're hosting one of these things, make sure that you have a uh, concrete and time time plan in place for how you're going to demo these things. Because yeah. I think the there's there's two interesting things about game jams as a, as like an entity, which is that the final presentation night can oftentimes be the thing that either sort of makes or breaks the experience for people Mm -hmm. because you might've had like an amazing time over the last 48 hours, but keep in mind, like you've been working for 40 hours, 48 hours straight. You're tired. tired. You want to go home actually, but you also want to demo your game and you want to see everybody's stuff. And so if it's the case that it's not a really streamlined experience, then you could be like, "Uh, I mean like this was great, but I mean, Fuck, you know, <laughs> this took so long. Yeah. Well, we had, yeah. we had a break after two hours, and I went yeah. and just kind of like scrounged around the building trying to find some kind of a snack or something. Because like, I was like, I think we got two more hours. I'm gonna need like a candy bar. It's like I'm yeah. gonna fall asleep, not because the games are boring, but because we've been working on this stuff for 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I mean, I, I would say to get around all of this, if you just have all of the, if if it's a requirement that everybody make a two minute or less video, if it's longer than that, you won't even show it, right? So make a two minute or less video, and you just make a playlist because mm-hmm. now your responsibility as as the person running the thing. Because if you look at the, the like Wes in particular who's running this thing, uh, and I guess I think has every single mm-hmm. time basically. Uh, you know, most of his like last day was spent trying to find everybody's executable files or whatever, yeah, make sure they ran a spreadsheet and, and then make sure he had the equipment so he could like change back and forth between a Mac. Yeah, there's and a Windows. There's, it's and, a ton of wrangling. Like it's very stressful to yeah. having run it before. It gets yeah. really stressful yeah, that final take day. Take the burden off of yourself by just having a much more sensible requirement. Have people mm-hmm. post, a, uh, send you a video link, YouTube yep. only. Yep. The end. Um, yeah. And then think, you can just run it in a browser and just play video after video. Mm-hmm. And I think keep in mind what people, what people really need. Like a lot of times uh, if you're, especially if you're starting out, you're not gonna be worrying about, you know, sponsorship and that sort of thing. But I mm-hmm. think the, we, we came to this conclusion when we ran the scatter jam here in St. Louis a couple of years ago and started that whole thing. Uh, the reason that we actually started that was because the, the overall burden on game jam organizers, if it's a place that you, if you're making a jam where you can actually go for 48 hours and it's open the whole time, there's a huge amount of uh, administrative and actual financial burden that comes with that. Yeah, because, it's really expensive to do that. Uh, you have to buy like inv- event insurance and stuff like that. If this, if you're actually using like a university or something. You can probably need security of some sort. Yep. There's all this stuff. You got to figure out volunteers. And so we just asked ourselves the question, what do you actually need to jam? And the answer is a theme. 
Yep. And that's it. And a potentially a well, presentation need, space at the end. You need yeah. a theme. Yeah. You need the feeling of everybody being in the trenches together. Yeah. Right? And then you need a presentation so that everybody gets to come together in some fashion. Yeah. And so those are the three big things. So um, we actually focus for the Scatter Jam just on the that opening night where uh, basically a little bit of a rousing speech is given. Um, when we do the Scatter Jam here in St. Louis, uh, Fat Bard, who does all of our music and a bunch of music for games, comes and uh, they play on like guitars and piano. They just like rock out to, you know, Pokemon music and Zelda stuff. So the first, like the doors are open for half an hour before the actual ceremony starts, everyone's piling in and there's just this sort of festive feel to the environment. And then uh, very quickly you get like a rousing speech and then the theme. So people actually show up for probably like 35 minutes maximum. And then they're out. And then they get the fuck out and get to work. And then uh, the next big thing we do is the actual, uh, again, on the on the Sunday night where everyone comes together for the big sort of show and tell. Um, we try to do that up a bit too and also streamline it as much as possible. So I think uh, those are the things to kind of keep in mind is that you want to think about like building a game actually. You want to think about your end user here. Um, and if they're really trying to get a incredible experience out of it, you got to make sure you don't let any of the stuff that would normally mar it from an organizational perspective, do so. Um, I will say too, though, uh, one of the things I w- that is probably one of the big reasons that St. Louis is able to attract so many people for the Global Game Jam is because of the work uh, done by the organizers to make sure that people who come uh, never have to pay a dime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So the event is free. And if you just showed up on Friday with nothing but a computer, uh, all of your food and mm-hmm. beverages mm-hmm. and everything is totally taken care of for the entire weekend. So yeah. they have they have it catered and they have sponsors bring, you know, they, they reach out to different restaurants to, you know, sponsor dinner or something. Mm-hmm. And like Emo's Pizza will bring a bunch of pizza or something right. like that, um, which sucks if you're lactose intolerant. But hey, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's OK. So, so just the fact that the organizers of the Global Game Jam here go through such ludicrous extremes yeah. to make sure that anybody who wants to participate can participate, mm-hmm. I think it's really helpful. But if you're just starting uh, like your first jam to host, it's probably going to be too much yeah, to take on. So yeah. focus just on the basics. Yeah. Minimize your, so basically yeah, it's, it's maximizing the, the user experience while minimizing your own burden, which is just the design philosophy you should have for literally everything you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then otherwise, so we, yeah, we got a lot of news this week, so we'll That's be getting it. into questions shortly. Uh, but also Sam's going to the Dice Awards. Yeah, we're going to Vegas. Woo! Uh, I guess. And it's on February 22nd or something like that. Yep. I believe. Yeah. Um, so again, we were, we were nominated for the best mobile game alongside Pokemon Go, Clash Royale, and Reigns. Um, and something else. Something else. There's five of them. Yeah. The other one I've heard of before. Okay. The Dice Awards, though. Um, but yeah, so the, that, that should be fun. We don't know. We don't know anything. So bought a ticket. But just know it's happening. Just going to show up in Vegas. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so if you are Vegas. also going to Dice Awards, then you should look Sam up. Yeah, look me up. Yeah. 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 And then GDC is right after that. That's coming up quick. Well, so I looked at the calendar and I realized that Real I get back from Vegas on Friday. We leave for GDC on Sunday. It was at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you got a weekend in there. Well, so the next day. couple weeks here is like this very... Calm before the storm. Calm time where I'm prepping these two two fucking talks also to give it GDC. Mm-hmm. Trying to get this farming game done as well as the next game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Once GDC once GDC is done, whoo, whoo, we got we finally get a breather. Yeah, it's yeah. been a. It will be. It'll be very clear actually for months after that. Yeah, thankfully it's been a been, been a whirlwind entry into 2017. <laughs> we have made we have made good progress though. We got uh, like two great. game prototypes done, three to go. Mm-hmm. So. 
But if you're going to be at GDC, then you should also look us look up. Us up. Uh, we we tend to when we when we take a f- couple hours of like downtime just to hang out, we tend to find a coffee shop or something, sit down and tweet out our location. I think the the one we will probably go to again is the workshop. That place is awesome. Um, where it's it's literally like a co working space that is a coffee shop, and so I think hey, you go in there, you, you pay, pay per hour, you pay I think. What, like five or ten bucks or something, something like that, and you just get you just hang out in there, and they got outlets and Wi Fi and food, yeah. and so we actually just set up shop plenty of there, space. Mm-hmm. I think like three or four times last GDC, yep. we met the guys from Keep Talking Nobody Explodes, uh, met a couple of concept artists and stuff over there. There's a lot of fun people. Mm-hmm. Um, who we chatted with and everybody just came because we were, we just blasted it on Twitter. We're like, Hey, we're at this place. Let me ask you this. Yeah, so keep an eye on our Twitter. Should yeah. we do something for specifically for our podcast listeners who are developers who are going to be going to GDC? So we got a little, I guess Venn- it depends on how many of them there are. Yeah. We got a little Venn diagram slice in Probably here. Like four people. It's probably like four people. So <laughs> which uh, would be, that would be perfect. Cause then we could all fit in one place. Yeah. yeah so instead of, instead of sort of putting the, the burden out there for people to just like hyper-focus on our Twitter and watch for when we'd send out that one announcement, um, could we put together a way for them to schedule something? For, we put, <laughs> well, I mean, if people want to say, "Hey, are you, would you guys like to meet for coffee?" Or yeah, something? we could. We could. We could pick a time to actually to actually be there. Mm-hmm. People can know ahead of time. We've yeah. Got, yeah. Okay. Well, we may if we do that, we'll announce it through the podcast so that yep. if you're a if you're a dedicated podcast listener, you can get you up. get the scoops. Yeah. So then I guess there'll be the week ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but yeah, otherwise we're, we're finally settled into a little bit of a sane work schedule, at least for two weeks. And then God knows what's going to happen. Yep. Um, we also have some sad news about Adam's cat, mm-hmm. which Ninja mm-hmm. is, is at the end of his cat rope. He's got a face tumor. Yeah. Uh, which is not a, I mean, there are all kinds of bad tumors, I feel like that's but one face of the, tumors really like, really gets it. Really, it's, not, it's really not a great one style. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just send you know send some vibes, some mm-hmm. good vibes toward Adam and his and his cat ninja. It's not going to help, unfortunately. It's not going to help. You know, it's but it's, it's good for your peace of mind. Yeah. Do you have any yeah. Do you have any fun stories about ninja you want to share? Anything comical? Uh, well, I, I mean, just as a cat, he is simultaneously the best cat and the worst cat in the universe. Mm. He's the best cat because he's friendly as fuck and just he's just a nice. He's very soft. He's very, he's super so soft. soft for uh, and you can just pick him up and just like hang out with him and he's great. But uh, he's also the screamiest cat. He universe. does vocalize he makes a lot of noise. <laughs> he makes a lot of noise uh, enough so that he. We have to. So in in our the house we got in St. Louis, um, the cats their food and stuff is in the basement, uh, but we also just have to keep them there at night because otherwise they just Ninja in particular will just stand outside the door and just scream at us, <laughs> and he'll do it for four hours straight without taking a break. It's just on the like on a metronome, just scream, scream, scream. <laughs> And, uh, and he still does it a little bit in the basement, but since it's like far enough away, I guess he can't hear us rustling or something. And so he gives up after like 20 minutes. Uh, can you hear him screaming from the basement? We can't actually, I, I put, <laughs> I put sound panels, soundproof panels, like on the back of the door and stuff. So it doesn't, doesn't matter. It. it actually helps a lot. Like, so now, now when we're going to sleep, <laughs> with, with the fan running in the bedroom and that door closed and then they're all the way in the basement, uh, it actually isn't like we can sleep just fine. Uh, but there was definitely a stretch when we were in Dallas because there we didn't have any rooms. It was just the bedroom and right. the rest of the of the place because it was a small uh, a small house or small condo. And so there was just no escape at all. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and we got, Everywhere we, you go. Yeah, the, we'd the gotten into a there. decent rhythm where it was where it, it kind of all ended up being okay, but it took a long time to get there. And, it, and still just every once in a while, like four in the morning for some fucking reason, he would decide it was time to scream at us. You know? <laughs> and it never, it was never the case that he seemed to need anything. 
Just gotta make sure you wants, are awake. He just wants to <laughs> scream at people. Now, Ninja Ninja was there when I first became a game designer. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a the December of 2009. Everybody was gone. Uh, Adam and his wife were gone somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam was off somewhere. I w- this was in I was in college at the time, so I was it was it was a winter break, and I was staying home uh, at our mother's place, and and she was gone too. So it was just me. <laughs> it was just me in the house for a week. Um, and and uh, Adam and his wife dropped Ninja off, and then also their other cat, new cat. Mm-hmm. And so these two, it was just me and these two cats. And uh, I was trying to play Dragon Age that week, and every, every I would I would have the door shut to the room that I was in, and then the two cats would go out there and Ninja <laughs> they would just, do not like shut doors, just <laughs> scream, just scream and scream and scream. I finally be like, my God, what? And I'd open the door, and they'd be like, all right, and then they just leave. <laughs> and they, they just and they don't just, like closed doors. Yeah, and so. So that, yeah, that was the, that was the week that I started actually designing my first game and I was working on stuff. And then all of a sudden Ninja would be like on the desk, like knocking a speaker off, you know, and just screaming in my face. <laughs> well, he was also there. He uh, participated. So what was it in 2010? No, it would have been 2000 and 2009. Nine mm-hmm. um, was when you first got Ninja. Yeah. And that was when we, we the three of us started similar, our first company. Very similar to now. Uh, living in the same, actually living in the same apartment. It was a little more for, uh, lean at that time for a summer. Definitely <laughs> more lean. The goal was to start a uh, custom computer building company, which we called Mindforge Technologies. Um, and we were all just figuring out what that even meant to do that. Uh, we were way off. We were super off. But mm-hmm. it's uh, one of it the risks a- of making a business uh, where you have no business skill and also no skill to do the thing that your business yeah, is. Yeah, it was a terrible idea. <laughs> but uh, we learned a ton. And that was a. But isn't that the startup model? Business startup model, yeah. And uh, Adam got this cat, and we we're all living in the we're all living in this very small apartment. Um, and so we had two air beds, I think, in the back room, and then another mm-hmm. air bed. It's just air bed room. city. It was just well, three air this beds. Was, this was where because this was in Cedar Falls, right? So I think Seth had a place. Uh, I did, but it was sort of like a shitty basement hole, and yeah. so I just lived in Adam's apartment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we had we had the three air beds set up, and then just a wall of three computers, big desktop computers, where we just worked all day. So not not too. Dissimilar from now, uh, aside from just mm-hmm. having actual homes. <laughs> um, but I remember Adam brought brought Ninja home from the from the store, and mm-hmm. it's beautiful Bengal kitty, the so handsome cat, so handsome. And then it played like a dog for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I remember this like little cat toy we had with it, and you'd bite it, and then like you'd tug of war. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have like tug of war with this yeah. cat, which is the weirdest shit I've ever seen. But then my favorite story was that I was sleeping one night and Ninja creeps into the back room and I'm using one of those Tempur-Pedic pillows that weighs like 15 pounds, right? Like it's really hefty brick of a, of a piece of equipment sleeping on it. And my fingers, I always sleep with my hands under the pillow. So my fingers are like just poked out from underneath the pillow <laughs> and I'm like about, I'm drifting off to sleep. I know Ninja's in the room vaguely, but I'm, I'm not quite in control of my body. And he comes in and bites one of my fingertips, not like, really hard but just just a little bit and in that sort of near unconscious state my body just completely convulses and i throw the pillow forward because i sort of do this wave thing <laughs> and of course ninja as this you know four pound maybe not even that like, kitten at that time two yeah. pound kitten just gets like slammed against the wall <laughs> by this tempur-pedic pillow oh man he was fine he was fine he yeah was cats fine. are robust. he was startled but yeah, he was. That was hysterical. He didn't bother yeah. me again. In my sleep, which is good. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, so good send off to Ninja. Some stories about Ninja. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. He might still have 
couple weeks left. Yeah. Nope. Hoping. We're just, right. we're monitoring now. We're, you know, just Monitor keep an eye mm-hmm. All right, so let's get to some questions. We, we had a news news fest today. We'll try to get, we'll try to get to some yeah, we'll do Don't worry, it was all fake news. Yeah. The alternative facts. We had some, yeah. we, we just, we're just, you, you don't know. You don't know what's real or not Alt anymore. Facts. This is the world we live in. <laughs> um, all right. So first question comes from a res creeper too. If you could have named yourself when you were younger, <laughs> what would your names be? Wait, wait. Yeah. Like at what age, I guess. Is so, really yeah. So this here. is, this is probably why we don't do this. Yeah. That's, yeah. So when I was asked what I wanted to be when I grow, when I grow up in kindergarten, my answer was fire truck. So I don't think. <laughs> I wanted to be a buffalo. See, yeah. I don't I mean, like just a buffalo. The naming convention would be just like really object based and well, and also the ridiculous. TV shows you watched, you know? Yeah. So like it would be some character you identify There'd with. There'd be a lot yeah. of people who are named Pikachu. Oh, just yeah. a ton. Ton and of people like, named Tasmanian Devil. Yeah. Probably. Taz. Taz. That's a pretty dope name, though, Taz actually. Is pretty good. Or Big Bird. Or fucking, <laughs> what's, the, what's the trash guy? Big bird. What's the what's the trash guy? Oh, from? Uh, the grumpy guy. The grumpy but guy. But then if you if you were like a teenager and you picked your name, your name would be shit like whatever. Yeah. Or, or, or like a, or like a just emo band fuck. name yeah. or something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like you call yourself Screamo. My name is Blood Nails. <laughs> flip, your, flip your hair. Yeah, it's it's probably good that really you know, matured people get to pick your name well, because this otherwise, is why, yeah, I mean, this is why you can't get a tattoo until you're 18. Yeah. I mean, we've know? all, we've all been kids and we all know that we were just kind of dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I think I probably would have named myself fire truck apparently. Cause that's what I wanted it's to be. Good name, actually. Yeah. Honestly, it's memorable. Fire yeah. truck Costa. What's up? Fire truck. <laughs> <laughs> I used to love fire trucks. It's kind of like a tattoo, right? Like, I think it's actually, think about like a think about it like a, a, a digital handle. We were actually talking about this the other day because yeah. most people choose their this is actually probably the equivalent. Like most people choose their usernames. Oh yeah, that's yeah, true. When, when you're like are, you know, eight to fourteen-ish. Yeah. And then well, it these kind days, of is yeah. Well, it kind like of four these days. Yeah, it's true. But it kind of sticks with you. Almost permanent like mine, I didn't consciously choose mine at any point in time. It just sort of happened, mm-hmm. which was the squamulus. Yeah, moniker, and then it just is what I use now. Because every time I get confronted with that, you want to make a username. Remember the first time that happens, you're like, oh, oh shit, and I like, choose my name because yeah. this is you naming yourself. Yeah, you go yeah. and do your research. You know, you're like, all right, what is this? What do I want to feel like when mm-hmm. I intercept people on the web? And then now it's like I don't want to have to answer that question differently every time. So it's just whatever the fuck it was when I was eight. Mm-hmm. Well, plus so, that's where all your contacts are and your whole network is. Yeah. I think the equivalent is just picking your username. Well, nowadays. so, so I, I have now, I used to have a consistent username that I used across everything. And lately for the past probably two years, I've gotten a lot more satisfaction out of making almost incomprehensible names. Yep. Um, so I was a monk in world of Warcraft named Stoglabob Dob. <laughs> Which is hard to say, but even harder to read. Stagladabdab. <laughs> Remember when we all played the three of us, three-man World of Warcraft for like yeah. a month or so? And yeah. What was our names? I was thinking it was Wobbly Doobly Doobop. No, we had, we had Wooby Dooby Booby. Oh, we yeah. had uh, Waka Laka Doo. Yeah. And some, something else. <laughs> uh, but you'd see this just running around as a trio. Everyone's yeah. like, I can't read any of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but, and yeah. then the, the fun part about that, too, is seeing how people... Because people abbreviate it then, yep. right? Or they'll just be like, hey, shaman, right? Because they don't want to type your name or something. So, yeah. Right, yeah so I think some so good we, advice, we, though, yeah. uh, if you are one of those people, if you've got a, if you basically, if your email 
looks like a username, you oh, know, yeah. uh, get another fucking email address. Yeah. Even if you, can, you only use it, actually, no. And then just use that one. You can, you can forward set all the, the forward, stuff. Yeah. yeah. I, have, all the I actually have the, like my name, Gmail address. I did never look at it. It just auto forwards everything yeah. to my username, Gmail yeah. address. Yeah. Yeah. And give out the professional. Cause we're, you know, we've, we've been now, uh, in the midst of hiring stuff for the past few months actually. And so we, you know, we were getting bombarded by all these email addresses constantly. And there's some shit in there that people really should have just. Yeah, you get emails like zombie Jenkins at yahoo.com. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm always, we talk about this, I'm always more concerned. That might be a real name. I don't know. More concerned when someone has a Hotmail address than with any username they put in front of it. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure both ends of the at sign are appropriate. If it's Hotmail, AOL, or Yahoo, you just, it's a little suspicious. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? You got some questionable decisions. Yeah. (laughs) It should be Gmail or your own domain name, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It is funny, yeah. though, to see when people have their own domain name, like, you know, what they choose. Yeah, it's like yeah. stevesmith.com or whatever is their domain. And then what's going to be in front of that? Because mm-hmm. sometimes people are like me. Yeah, the one that I me, use is, is email me. Email me. Email me at adamcoster.com. Don't don't actually do that, though. You could also be like, the- my name is at whatever.com. Yeah, but you got to read at the Steve. At yeah, that's a problem. That's why that's why email me works really well. Mm. You could also do, you could also put like at, like at. At 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 yeah at 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 at. All right. So next question comes from uh, Degeki, who's just crushing the questions, questions over the past. We we I feel like we almost need, like need a, a nickname. We almost need a, a nickname. Degeki the Dage Key. Dage Key. <laughs> <laughs> the interrogator. De, Degeki the Degeki the interrogator. Degeki the interrogator asks. Uh, butterscotch organizational question. What is the butterscotch office slash org, org culture for tasks when viewed through the lens of the old question? Do you want it done right? Or do you want it done right now? Is, hmm. Let's talk about this question. Both. Do you want it done right? Or do you want it done right now, Sam? Why not both is my answer. Mm. I don't know. Is it Are weird? they mutually exclusive? Can you not do a thing immediately and also not fuck it up? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with me personally, Listen, no, I'm, I'm going to do it, but you're not going to like the results. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, this reminds me of the saying, uh, take the time to go fast. Yeah. A little bit, right? Yeah. Because if you, if you do a thing right now, as in without delay, without thinking about it, whatever, you just do the thing that you're asked to do, then you're not thinking about it. And so you are not going to actually come up with a better mechanism or a more efficient way of doing it such that maybe you won't have to do it next time, or maybe you won't have to uh, spend as much time, right? Mm-hmm. So we try to do a lot of sort of planning and efficiency work and automate things where well, possible. I, think it kinda come, I feel like it does come into, because I've never really felt like this is a battle, a question for us. Maybe yeah. it's the way, the way that we approach everything. So first of all, we don't have deadlines at all. We try to do things. Well, basically, we, you do everything as well as, max. as well as you can, yep. but and then also be as done quickly as, when it's done. as yeah. you can go. Right. Yeah. And, and if, if you think, uh, I could do this now, or I could come up with a system to do it just much faster now, but also forever. forever. Um, if it's worth being able to do that, yeah, then, then it would never be the case where, where you would say that in our office and then somebody else would be like, no, nah, I don't give a fuck about like actually being able to do this again. Just do it this one, do time, one time and we'll just worry about it later. 
Yeah. But uh, I think it also depends because we're, we're not a deadline driven. Mm-hmm. We don't have deadline driven tasks because again, because the whole culture is just do things at the max, which means it'll literally take exactly as long as is possible. There, there's no Deadpool. It can't be done faster. Maximum effort. Maximum effort. Maximum effort. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. Deadlines mean nothing in that context because yeah. it'll just get done. It'll get done, done as we've, soon as possible. We've tried that a few times where we're like, we're going to put a deadline on this build or this thing. Mm-hmm. It just never works because sometimes we're like a week early. Yeah. You can't what does that mean now? Now, rare, now you're though. supposed to just wait around. Oh, it's rare that we're early. <laughs> Quite rare. But it does happen from time to time. But it, but is, it, it does well, this create is what, an this interesting problem. problem. This is where crunch comes in. This is where crunch comes in. But it does create an interesting problem though when we're trying to expand that culture and it's something that we struggled with in the office when we hired people right is is every everybody comes from deadline driven stuff right mm-hmm. that that's the predominant way that things are done and we we don't do that here because we also don't believe you can actually predict how long things take when you're doing a new thing every time you're doing a thing and so you have no frame of reference right <laughs> and so so but when you're trying to train people and like and try to give them a sense of what reasonable expectations are for how much work you can produce and that sort mm-hmm. of thing then then what do you do right because what you want to do is be like it should take roughly this much time but you don't really know how long it's going to take and really all you're trying to drive the is the is a deep understanding of the fact that you just fucking crush that thing right Mm -hmm. and then it should be done soon those are sort of the the two parts right uh but knowing exactly what that means for somebody who's new to that way of tackling stuff or or especially if they're learning a new skill that they're that they're trying to deploy is super tricky that's true it's a weird thing to teach yeah, because there's not much structure involved. It's basically structureless, right? It, well, it's, yeah, it is structureless. It's just go it's fast. Just like, it's just like, you I just, don't know, crush it again. You, right? you got a you got a thing you're working on. Do it. Well, there's also the the problem of once you impose deadlines, then um, if that is the focus of just doing of of hitting the that specific date target yeah. or whatever, then okay, maybe you're gonna save some money because you're going to have like all your people in your company or whatever, working 90 hours a week doing crunch time, you know, whatever. And just basically you're paying them the same amount, no matter how many hours they work. And so if you just try to make them do, just get more hours, just get more hours in then maybe you'll get there. Um, But, but it just isn't the case actually. Cause a lot of, there's been a lot of research about how people get burned out with this kind of stuff and how, especially from programming, uh, if you make a, a big mistake because you are sleep deprived and you make a really terrible system that's not flexible or whatever, and you take shortcuts because you have no more mm-hmm. you know, mental Brain energy, juice. then you're developing a product that is just going to be really hard to work with. It's going to potentially be full of bugs. It's going to break and it's going to cost you. Like there's a certain maximum amount of stuff you can do and you just have to be okay with that. But there's an right? interesting additional problem with this, which is if you don't impose deadlines, uh, then for, for the vast majority of people, especially people who are like, love their craft and are good at stuff when they are making a thing, um, if they have infinite time, they will spend infinite time on that thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Because not having a deadline is not the same as having infinite time at all mm-hmm. because you still need to, and, but now you have to force constraints upon yourself. Cause now you don't say, Ooh, I don't have enough time to add this feature. You act, instead, the question is very different, which is more the lines of, how valuable is this feature given how long it's going to take me to create right. it? Right. And, but, but without having a specific deadline you're supposed to hit. And so now the sort of the mental calculus of, of making decisions about what and how to implement um, becomes actually very challenging. And, and I think the only way that that works is if, is if the person doing that work fully understands the reason they're solving the problems that they're solving and sort of at the organizational level, what the goals are, because then you can actually decide, does this serve this bigger goal? Not does this serve this timeline? Right. It's always a question of, is this what I should be doing right now? 
is this my maximum value? Yep. Yeah. And I think it, you're right. It, it, it forces a more difficult question on people. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's one of those things that as a, as a manager, then your job is to make sure people understand, understand yeah, um, why the just, thing that they're doing matters. Yep. Yeah. And just guide them until it becomes, until they sort of have it inside of them, um, which is a hard thing to do also. Like the whole thing is hard. And I think that's probably why deadlines are just a thing. Because frankly, it's, it's, it's easy. It's the easy way. It's yeah. easier for, yeah, for a manager to be like, Shut up. Here's your timeline. Get out Get of here. Get done by Friday. Get it done to your fire. <laughs> I think the other thing is that we have, we have infinite work to do. It's the other one is that um, yeah. the realization that, okay, you know, as you come online in this company in particular, we literally have infinite projects that we want to be doing that we wish we would have already done in a lot of cases um, or things that could just be straight up improved if someone gave three, six, 24 hours to it. And so the, I think it's that realization like, okay, if I... You basically, yeah, it's the you want to do uh, it's the highest leverage activity possible, right? So if I spend one hour, for example, rebuilding this thing to make uh, the process for like getting the podcast uploaded faster, and that's going to save us in the next year X amount of hours, you just do that calculus real quick in your head, and then say, okay, this is a priority now for me this week. I'm gonna get it done. Um, so yeah, you're right. It it forces it forces management actually into a person as opposed to into management. Yeah. Yeah, probably why like it's basically every every person doing work has to also be a manager. But well, this is the work. concept of of agile development, mm-hmm. right? Except it's well, one of yeah, one there, of them. there are many different right, versions. Right. But, of there, it. but there's uh there's this the concept of agile software development has this sort of tenet of pushing decision making to the lowest level possible, meaning whoever is closest to a problem, that's the person who should be making decisions about how and when and why to solve that problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so for some reason, this is talked about as just like in the context of software development. And I don't know why people don't push this idea harder, just kind of everywhere, everywhere. I think it is, it is a lot harder to execute mm-hmm. probably because it, it does rely, well, on, now it relies just, on trust. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, well, it's not even that you have to, you have to trust people instead of the system, right? Because the yeah. way that a bureaucracy works is you say, here's all the rules. You just plug a person in, the person knows the rules and then they just follow procedures. Right. And now that's like, that's the sort of the maximum version of, of just creating corporate. a bureaucracy. Right. right. So the, and once a, once an ent- a corporate entity gets huge enough, that's basically always how it's run because now that that's the only way you can make the system keep running is mm-hmm. you just build the system so that it does exactly what it would do no matter who's in there. Right. And now it can just go on forever and then it does. But if you want a system where, or you do push all the decision-making all the way down. Now you have to, you can't just plug a person in anymore. You now have to spend time with spend them. Time with them. Get you to know to, them. They have, they have to them to, like a human. Right. They, they, have to be, they have to be trained to understand, like fully understand the culture. They have to buy into that culture. So they can't just come in and be like, Ooh, this is good money. I'll do this for a year and then go do something else. Right. You're, you now need to avoid all of that as well. So you're trying to, you have to minimize turnover, uh, maximize the investment that you make into people. And so it's, uh, and you have to be very careful about, you know, making sure you, find people who get that and get rid of who people that, who turn right? out. They don't. Right. right. So if you bring somebody in and it turns out they don't match all that stuff, then you, you gotta, can't have them. Yeah. You gotta be okay with, with that. Yeah. And so, so, so it's a much, it's a, it's a much trickier and much more just resource intensive way to, to run an operation. I mean, the benefit is it's, I, I think a better operation, right. But uh, I mean, working feels it better. might be self-sustaining in the long run. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, but in order for it to be that way, you still have to have some systems in place. And so the question is, how do you balance, you know, system level uh, decision-making versus personal, you know, human level decision-making. Right. And as an entity gets bigger, things always must swing closer system. and closer towards system. And so the question is, how do you build something, especially if you build something fast, it's literally the only way to do that. If you're going right. to build something fast, I mean, you don't want to double your fucking company size every six months or something like that. Right. You can't, spend an enormous amount of time training all those people and yeah. pulling in. You can't spend right six people. months in a one-on-one mentorship with each yeah, new exactly. employee. So if you want to grow fast, I think that that absolutely requires that you build a bureaucracy. I mm-hmm. think it's the only way. Uh, if you want to build something more like a lifestyle company, yeah. like, like we're building, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> then you can train, you can train one person at a time mm-hmm. and just grow really slowly and then know, or at least have a lot more confidence that, that, that those people you bring in are going to stay. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be, they're going to be bought in. They're going to care about what they're doing. And, and you can, you can let them make decisions. You can give them autonomy and trust them and they can become an essential part of the, of the thing that you're building. Which is nice. Which is super seems, nice. seems great. I'd, I'd rather do that <laughs> than manage like people idea. and write up a list of rules, you know? Oh yeah. Right, so, so we are we are over time, but I want to hit one more question. Yeah, we a few more because we spent so much yeah. time on the news. Ugh. You know, we spent like fifty so minutes. Uh, <laughs> so we're gonna go a little over just to squeeze in squeeze in some more cues. Maybe uh, a couple A's. Maybe a little A. All right. So next question. This one might be contentious. I don't know. Ooh. Plus, it's asked by literally a giant muskrat, which <laughs> I, I'm. It's I'm, horrifying. It's horrifying. That it's it learned itself. typing skills and thought. They're learning to type. They're becoming huge. Uh, so this, this giant muskrat wants to know, <laughs> could, could I pay you a thousand dollars a year? Yes. Wait, <laughs> oh, hold on, more? hold okay. on. There's a Shit. stipulation, oh. <laughs> uh, to let me test your games that are in progress. I'd like to help, but I know that you would be taking a leap of faith to allow me to. So I thought if I extend a monetary branch in one direction, it would let you know I was serious. First of all, where is this giant muskrat getting so much What is the giant muskrat (laughs) doing for a career to just have an extra $1,000? Most muskrats that I know- Penniless. They don't have any money. Not a dime to their name. Mm -hmm. Let alone $1,000 a year to spare. Yeah. Muskrat- also, I just possibly collecting cans. That's a horrible name for an animal. Musk rat. It's a musk rat. It's, a, it's like a rat. It just smells <laughs> it more. Smells, it smells than worse a regular. Even. But rat. they're actually huge. It's like a beaver-sized animal, isn't yeah. it? They yeah. bite stuff. They chew through. Things. They're everywhere in Iowa. Yeah, we used to see them all the time. It's everywhere. Problematic. Um, so, so if a muskrat came to us and wanted to pay us a thousand dollars a year to test our game, <laughs> what do we do about that? First of all, I would I would snare this. Giant sentient money making muskrat um, in a trap. Yeah, not a not a kill trap though. Just a regular trap. Just a regular trap. And then I like just put out some Cheerios. And then I would probably give it to uh, a biology research center. Um, okay. In exchange for more than a thousand dollars, I think. Oh but. yeah. <laughs> so we're like, sure, I, yeah, come on into the studio. Come on, come and test <laughs> these games. Giant muskrat. Boom. Cap. That's turn a profit right there. This capitalism. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, well, so the way we do our betas. To actually get to the question, uh, is that you don't have to pay us anything. Um, you just have to be involved. The truth is that you're you're doing us and future fans a service um, mm-hmm. by hopping in and helping out. And so for our Crash Lens one, we had 110 people, uh, 170, and then like 110 or so that played a lot. I yeah, think. yeah. And the way we the, what we actually do is we have a selection criteria system based on your Bscotch ID stuff because mm-hmm. we can you know we know we know what games you've been playing. We know if you play our games at all. We know if you're on the forums. And so we just built a little wait table, Adam did, um, that then ended up selecting X number of people uh, based on a bunch of criteria that we can actually see. 
Just mm-hmm. so it's like, time you start games. have you posted in our forums? Have you asked a podcast question? How many more games have you played? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. all of your activity in the community gets, mm-hmm. gets added up to provide a score. And then we just go through the top 120 or 150, 100, whatever, yep. 200 people. And what well, I think, we're, and I should, I don't, so, so the idea of kind of like testing around the clock, right? So, uh, cause you know, we have these defined beta periods where we, invite people in, have them test, or we do a playtesting session where we go out in the world in some place and have watch people play the game or something. Uh, but we don't just have a continuous QA th- pipeline. And a lot of that is because of the way that we develop stuff. It, it just doesn't make sense for our development model. Uh, as a game is sort of progressing though, towards the end, that, that can actually start to be useful because then you can catch stuff early and get it fixed. But we iterate so quickly and change stuff so quickly that again, most that if you test the thing today, it might not even be in the game tomorrow. So, right. <laughs> so that for us, that means that we do need to constrain most of our QA activity to, to be in these, these very well-defined windows where we throw kind of everybody at it at once, where we're already confident that we have everything in a relatively stable unchanging state. Uh, so that means we, we don't need or want actually a person who's like job it is all the time to just be testing stuff. Cause that actually mm-hmm. creates an additional administrative burden. It, it actually, it actually doesn't help. Yeah. It, it makes things more complicated because now we just have to start asking questions. Ooh, if we change this, that we just got it tested, you know, why would, right. yeah. and we don't want to ever have to deal with So that. the answer is, uh, you couldn't pay us any amount of money. Yeah. Nope. Because it wouldn't matter. You know? I'm not interested in your money. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the way to think about we'd it is- lo- We'd love to have you test the next time we open a beta. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I think the idea of continuous testing, it would be like you going up to a potter working on a wheel and being like, hey, you mind if I drink out of that drink uh, out of that pot you're working on? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. I'm like, I'm whipping clay all over this thing. Like, it's a mess. It's a mess. It's not even testing. drinkable at this point. I just um, imagine someone walking up to someone spinning a wheel and like pouring some hot coffee into their pot. Just like trying to try <laughs> can I get to, in can I get in on that <laughs> on that cup you're uh, whipping up? Yeah. So I think the the answer is to just be active, continue being active in the community stuff, and then whenever we have a beta coming up uh, or even an alpha, which we have done, we did an alpha and a beta for Crashlands, and they were um, quite different. They were very different, and both of them lasted what a couple weeks, mm, four weeks for beta, two oh, weeks probably, for alpha. yeah, two weeks for alpha, something like that. Um, and so we we will be hitting one of those probably in the next three or four months, I would guess, at least an alpha stage with this next game. So, uh, you know, just stick around, be lively, and we'll see if you get selected. Mm-hmm. We yeah, better we better have some more giant muskrat sightings <laughs> around the community. Yeah, I think. Uh, and you should also be very careful making this offer to game companies in general because uh, some of them will take you up on it. And, well, you know, and this this actually <laughs> this is effectively. I mean, honestly, the difference between an unpaid internship and you paying for an internship is basically zero because in both cases you're sacrificing your money and time for some other entity, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, your time is worth something. Um, so that's that's a thing that it's a contentious issue. Uh, we are firm believers in in not having unpaid internships, and this would basically be equivalent. Like uh, year round, around the clock, you're a tester. Yeah, for a I mean, we've had yeah. we've had a ton of people ask, uh, even just locally, or they're like, "Oh, I got a, I got you know my son's like uh, home for break for college. Would it, could he come and and do some work for you guys? Like you don't, you don't have to pay him. Like I'll pay his wages, that sort of thing. <laughs> We're like, I don't think you understand. Like it's a huge burden for us. Actually. And it's, and illegal. we have no interest in doing <laughs> illegal, illegal stuff. Illegal. Like, yeah. if we can't pay someone and they can't do the work, then we have zero interest in this. Yeah, that's it's just bad for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, a lot of people propose helping when in reality, uh, it doesn't help. Yeah. And, when, or, and if just, you're if you're doing something where you don't actually have the skill and you're then. It should be, that should be a mentorship relationship, not an internship. Because the internship doesn't make sense when you can't perform work, right? But right. mentorship does, and those should be done in, in a much more uh, structured kinds of things because the goal of a mentorship is that you learn something on the other side. 
the goal of an internship is supposed to be that you work to gain experience, but that always is going to create administrative burden, right? Mm-hmm. So it just seems like an internship is a thing that should just be skipped. You should either be working or be being mentored. Mm-hmm. Well, some, I, I think this, this, this comes to a, a bigger question, sort of coming back to the organizational question about building a, a company where everybody has a lot of autonomy and whatever um, versus sort of having just a bunch of systems that you just plug a person into. Because we do get the question a lot about um, whether we do are planning on doing internship programs and that kind of thing. And I think uh, the problem is that based on the way that we've structured our company, we don't have these sort of predefined slots that you can just drop mm-hmm. a person into. And mm-hmm. it's just like, here's a, a here's like a, an, a handbook of how to do this job. Um, and you can just do this job and learn how, to, how it works and get the experience. And then after three months, go off to school again or right. whatever. Um, I mean- Coming into into our studio, you know, we anticipate that any new person is going to take probably six months of just sort of baking in the culture, in the systems, in the way we do things, the way we talk about things and stuff before they are just 100% online and totally, you know, crushing everything and, and able to handle all their stuff. Um, and at that point, they are just totally in it, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, it's not like just hop in for a moment, hop out sort of a thing. So that is something that we've run into as a potential mm-hmm. future issue when it comes to people wanting internships. It's just, I don't know. If, I don't know. I don't know how we do. Yeah. All right. So I want to hit one last question. Okay. This question comes from beast. Oh yeah. It's been a while since we heard from beast. It's beast. Beast with two S's and two T's. Um, so again, this is probably one of those sort of like XX Legolas XX 39 XZX situations. Somebody had beast, squeeze in some extra, squeeze in some extra consonants. Uh, beast asks, are you guys going to get the Nintendo switch? Which of the big four Nintendo PlayStation, Xbox, or PC do you pledge your allegiances to? I I mean, I'm more of an Ouya person myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I only play on Arduino's. Yeah, I have a toaster that has LED lights that I programmed that I only play. Stare at them. I'm gonna gonna say this though: if you if you pledge allegiance to a platform, what do you do? You you are owned by the man. Yeah. Whoa. You know, Adam's dropping some truths. You've been been purchased by a marketing. Who are you owned by if you play on PC? Steam. Steam. Uh, Yeah. Bill. Bill. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Yeah, I think uh, I personally don't care uh, about any of these. Nope. I actually, in, in the sense that I don't, like, I don't care. So for, we've for, had a discussion about this previously. And for me, what it comes down to is it has to do with kind of the ethicalness and openness of the, of the platform. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, I don't have any allegiance to any of them. I just dislike them more or less. Right. So when it comes to <laughs> consoles, because consoles are so closed and they have draconian policies, both for players and for developers. And, and it's, it's such a clearly like, business operation that it feels bad. And so I don't like and it. And unfortunately, I think Windows might be Windows pushing is turning into that. Well, toward I mean, this. Windows has always wanted to be that. There's just they just the problem is finding they, ways well, to they make established that work. a precedent of being an open platform where yeah. anybody can make software on and anybody can distribute yep. and whatever. Um but now with the Windows Store, with the universal Windows stuff. Um, well, and actually, and they're a little bit less of a, of a monopoly than they used to be, which means that it'll actually be harder to prevent them from behaving like a monopoly. Legally. Right. Legally. Legally, yeah. Yep. Well, I think that I don't, like, I really don't care about which uh, 
platform I play on at all. Um, yeah, they're it's, all the same. It doesn't matter. It's always just whichever game I want to play and whether or not it's available, which is yeah. why if I had the opportunity, I'd actually just have all of them so I could do whatever the fuck. Oh, yeah. So, but this, I, so this is something we need to, I think this, we need to unpack though. Okay. Because why would somebody pledge allegiance to a platform? I think, I think it comes down to like, because well, you, you got a budget. Yeah, you have finite resources. You got finite you resources. Choose. So you're going to you're gonna pick one, right? So you're going to be like, I'm going to get the PlayStation. That's mm-hmm. going to be my but, thing. But you don't give a shit about PlayStation. You care about the games No, on no, no. But here's the point, though. But you do. The be- fact that you have to choose makes you care. You, but the reason you have to up. choose is because of how unethical these fucking platforms are. I don't know. No, it's no, because it, you only have so much money. Yeah. No, no, yeah. But, yeah. but it wouldn't be a problem if the games were available on every platform. The only reason there's a question here, no, it like, still would be. which platform do you care about? It still would be. It because, still would be because people are tribal, right? Like you have to, yeah, you, you got to buy you, in. You, you know? picked one. You picked one. You and don't then, think the tribalism would disintegrate if all games were available on all platforms? I don't no. think so. Totally. I mean, because think about like uh, like Google Play and and iTunes. Because right? your, your access point is still a limited access point in the sense that you, even if you want to buy like a PC or a tablet or whatever, like all these things cost a fuckload of money. Like even a Game Boy still costs like 300 bucks, right? So yeah. everything costs a lot of money, which means that in order to get it, you have to, like you have to give up stuff, right? And you have to post hoc rationalize yeah. how you totally did not make a mistake so I guess, by but the not question getting I, one of the other. Uh-huh. <laughs> the question I have here though, is yeah. that it used to be the case that when it was when these platforms are competing with each other, then what you would see is like all this breakdown of all the awesome specs that they have. Like and they would brag about the new features they've added to make theirs like the the better hardware, mm-hmm. right? So that and then as to showcase, then it would be like the new games you can play on this one that you can't play on that one, which is usually actually because of exclusivity arrangements, right? Right. right. Uh, but the hardware is so good now, um, although consoles lag, of course, because mm-hmm. they have to all come out in one giant batch. Um, but even still, the hardware is so good that you can basically play anything on these things. Now, yeah. So now right? it's just for business reasons you can't. It's now it's just for business reasons games. you can't. And but that, but that also means for the tribalism part because a lot of the tribalism, at least from what I've always seen when I when I see so these people who strongly believe Xbox is a thing or PlayStation is a thing when they're fighting each other, right? It's just about it's about the specs of the platform. But as that becomes less relevant, because again, they can just play anything, then what do you fight about now? Well, then and it's, what you, then now it's you the, fight about the games that are available. No, it's it's also about, because you remember when, when PlayStation 4 and Xbox One were having their sort of unveilings mm-hmm. and there was a, there was a lot of contentious stuff about oh, yeah. like, are you going to be able to trade games? Like how, like what about subscription services? You know, blah, Backwards blah. compatibility. Yeah. So it's no longer about, it's no longer about the games. It's about all of this sort of, uh, which, which side of the fence you land on in terms of the ethics of how that, how they treat your library and all this other stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so then of course, like if somebody, if somebody's like, Oh, I'm going to go to the Xbox and you're like, well, I'm going to go with the PlayStation. And then you'll have your list of reasons. They'll have their list of reasons, or you'll have person number three. who's like, I just bought like the thing that was nearest to me when I walked in the store. Like I don't give a crap. Uh, I just want to play some games. And so I don't know. You, you end up with people who have like these things that they passionately care about that probably don't actually affect them that much, but they need to, they need to like draw a line in the sand. Well, cause you need to make a decision, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so you basically have to have a decision metric and otherwise you just don't do anything. And probably you just go look on the internet. You're like, what's well, better? Yeah. And, and, of, and of course other people like spouting stuff. And then you just internalize that. Like, Oh, these are the things I'm supposed to care about. So now I do. Right. And then you make a decision. Yeah, and of course you're not an idiot. So no. yeah. If you so spent 500 bucks on something. If you spent 500 bucks on console A, B or C, obviously that's the best one because 
You're not an idiot. Mm-hmm. That being said, you thought uh, about it. But <laughs> I think I want to get a Switch just because it looks like a cool piece of hardware. Yeah, it's, it's that's an, all I care about. Okay, and to me, the other platforms are just like they're they're just functionally equivalent. Yeah, they really like a PlayStation. What what in the fuck is the difference between a PlayStation and an Xbox? And even the, a PC, except for PC, you get like more. Fr- but from, a gaming, like, from a gaming, from a gaming perspective, it's the same. It's all the same. It's like great hardware. You can see cool stuff, and then you interact with it with a controller, right? Yeah. They're all, they're just functionally identical. And so, and this is why I don't give a shit at all. Because <laughs> uh, you're saying the input mechanism so this is, is exactly why, the same. This yeah. is, again, why Ouya is obviously the number one. Well, I think this is, this yeah. is interesting on the way that, that Nintendo has chosen to compete. They've, they compete by not competing, right? Yeah, exactly. They, they, they make a separate market. The smartest way to do it. But exactly. it's, well, well, it's risky. It can be. Too, it's yeah. risky. If you, if you try to create a competitive space that nobody cares about well yeah then you got a problem yeah like if you yeah. make if you make the wii people are like oh shit because like now you go do i choose the xbox or the playstation that's the decision and then i'm gonna, I'm gonna also get a wii yeah, because right. that's a totally different thing yeah. right well i think that's the model they have right is that is that if you're a if you're a nintendo console gamer you're almost definitely also an xbox or a playstation or mm-hmm. a pc gamer because right? it's just a totally different thing because it's just different but you're it's like having a tablet and it's TV. right. And it's not so uncommon for you to be both a PC gamer and one of the consoles. Right. Mm-hmm. But it is very rare. For yeah. I think, it, I think it would be weird for somebody to go, yeah, I'm not going to get the PlayStation cause I'm going to get the switch. Yeah. Like that's probably doesn't make good. any sense. Well, I think, yeah. Cause it, I would get the switch, but I would probably not get an Xbox or PlayStation four just cause I can already do all that stuff on my PC. Yeah. But it's not because you have a switch that you didn't get them. No, it's just the switches. Cause thing. you got a PC. Right. <laughs> but it is, it is mm. I do find it very aggravating though. Just how many titles I would like to play that are yeah, only on console yeah. when they don't need to only be Was on the last console. of us. Is the it last still not on PC? Actually, I'm not sure about that one anymore. I don't know if it's on PC anymore. Uh, but even things like like Journey, like one of the like the classic, yeah. one of the most classic indie titles in the universe that everybody like loves on constantly, and it's the most amazing game apparently. And uh, I can't play it because I don't have a PlayStation. Yeah. There's no reason that should be only on PlayStation right. at all, except of course contractual exclusive mm-hmm. arrangements, right? Uh, so really, is- I mean, for that for that reason alone, you should just if you can, you should just get all of them. Then you can play all. Well, the but games. see, this thing is now you're playing the other game. You know, this is like this is why I'm so aggravated by the consoles. Yeah. Is for exactly that reason. Is, is oh, that so you got to boycott the reason boycott that consoles. Yeah. So like for me, like I would love to play these games, and I'm just not going to. Because there, there are tons of other games I could play. Like no, no true loss actually, right? Because uh, I can now use that time that I would have spent playing awesome games or only on PlayStation playing some to other, play other awesome, awesome games. games on other platforms on other pla- on other platforms. So it's, it's no big deal. Cause my alternative is actually to buy all the platforms. If I want to play all the games that come out, even though there's no reason for it, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to so, be like this, you guys. Exactly. So, so to me, the fact that there <laughs> is this, yeah, the, the, like the reason this contention exists is like everybody loses because people buy in. So really the decision, mm. the decision metric that most people use when they go, I want to be on, this console because it has all these exclusive titles. Mm-hmm. Really, you should say, I'm not going to buy this console yep, because, because it has it all these exclusive titles. But you actually shouldn't do that because this is kind of like voting, right? So like well, you actually shouldn't do that because then only you lose because it's a tragedy of the commons. No, situation. you and the developers. And the developers. Lose. Yeah. The console is still everyone's going to So really, buy you actually have to buy all the consoles, you know? Just do whatever you want. You just do whatever you want. You know, go I'm, I'm opting out personally, but you know. Yeah, and also you can go outside more often. Just get, a, get a rock and a stick. That's nature's console. Mm-hmm. Or a that has, all, that has all the best physics-based <laughs> gameplay. <in> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, this has been Coffee with Butterscotch. Thank you all for listening. Uh, and these questions all came from podcast.bscotch.net. So if you want to get your questions potentially answered on this podcast, 
then go ahead and ask. You can log in with the Bscotch ID or you can ask anonymously. Just bear in mind, there's a lot of questions. Uh, so we we probably won't get to yours just statistically, but, you know, <laughs> there's a chance. Mm-hmm. So Who's to say? Ask uh, a good question. Yeah, ask a really, really good question. And then who knows? Who knows what happened? The world is your oyster. So, all right. Thanks, you guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.